0: yo what is up guys welcome to the hype geek podcast where we talk to you about what's hype in the culture of gaming this week we got an epic guest alex fernandez ceo of streamline media group they do a lot of stuff actually he runs a company called all pixels for gaming art streamline studios for technical solutions streamline games for production day0 for QA and stream fame for metaverse stuff, which is obviously what we've been talking about a lot. Super excited. And he's worked for companies like Capcom, THQ, Square Enix with his own company. And something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast and is super relevant is he was the developer behind the Balenciaga video game. So this podcast is going to be freaking crazy, man. We're so excited to have you, Alex. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and a thing that we do here is a fit check. Basically, Top down or bottom up, what are you wearing and
1: why? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys, and uh, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, So just real quick, what I got on is I'm wearing my Adidas Star Wars reissue from 2009. They came out with these Star Wars jackets from Adidas, and I just thought, yeah, this is it. A friend of mine said, I need to get you Darth (laughs) Vader. So I got the Force is Strong with this one, and on the back, it's got the Death Star, which I'm just like, hell yeah. So I got that underneath. Wait, can we see that? can you stand up and show us the death star yeah Yeah. (laughs) can can you guys see that over there yo (laughs) that's a fire graphic it is is so like this is one of those things i love this jacket i mean it's one of my favorite ones that i like to go out in so rocking this one uh icebreaker underneath uh merino wool or merino depending on how you say it but Mm -hmm. for me it's the merino wool and got into that basically because i For 20 years, I've been doing business travel. Uh, Every two weeks, I'd get on a plane. And at one point, I got tired folding jeans. I need something light that was just something that I could use, wash, and dry pretty fast. Icebreaker came up and literally, I'm one of those guys that once I get one piece, I buy everything, every color, every version. And then I just kind of standardize. Not really in that Steve Jobs type of way because I do like colors. But in the type of like, I know what I'm getting when I buy it. And I kind of put it on there. Yeah, Uh, Watch my panerai watch right here and nice. basically the the maxes so basically it's kind of what i'm wearing right now oh and one other thing you guys can't see him but bombas came out you know the Bombas socks Take- have you guys seen bombas no no is this okay these are this is a sl- this line of socks that basically i got switched onto to because this is going to be ridiculous but they released a sesame street the original classic sesame street characters in socks <laughs> And basically I sat there, I was with my daughter and I'm like, you know what? I think I'm just going to buy Sesame street socks. And I ended up picking them up. No joke. I shit you not. Like I'm sitting here right now. I got basically the count on my feet right now. <laughs> and every morning I go to my daughter, I'm like, what should I wear today? She's like, you should wear Elmo. I'm like, well, Elmo's dirty. She's like, well, how about the count? Like, don't take the count. She's six years old. I'm forty, so clearly we have a connection on Sesame Street. Yes. So it's actually one of those things, you know, but amazing. Will, yeah, That's I don't awesome. know if you guys got kids, but you'll you'll get it when you get there. <laughs> you want to connect on things. So it's there. Yeah. You know.
0: For for those at home, I would just want to give you a visual understanding of what Alex is rocking. It's a bread upper tracksuit. So it's black tracksuit with the red Adidas three stripes on both arms. And then he's got a The icebreaker tea underneath in red. I've actually never heard of the brand icebreaker, but there's people in chat talking about it. What made you fall in love with it? Is just the technical aspects of it?
1: You know what it comes down to? It's like this idea that, you know, wool, natural wool, you know, going back to how things were made, like, well, a long time ago, how we used to actually buy quality products that last. And the thing about this is that. You know, at one point in time, I just got into this idea that I didn't want to keep replacing clothes over and over again. And it's just more of this idea of the environment and Mm -hmm. saving, but also at the same time, just looking at the fact that you want comfortable clothes. And for me, the way they refine the wool, the way they put it together, it feels, it's not itchy. It feels like it's like you're not wearing anything in the way it wicks and the way it keeps you warm and cool. I used to wear this in Malaysia where it's basically 32 degrees centigrade every day. Uh, what is that? Like 82, 83, and with uh, humidity. And I never felt like I was wearing wool. It just felt fantastic. So, wow. It's been one of those things. And, you know, they're from New Zealand. So, you know, you, you love the Kiwis. They do good that's, stuff. That's <laughs> awesome. And stuff. I'm
2: looking on the website now. And yeah, let's is, take a look this at This is it. Gorp.
1: This it, is it's Gorp? Gorp sure. Yeah. Okay. Check out, listen, the leggings, the underwear, and the socks. Holy shit. Perfect. T-shirts like... You know, you go, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to show it to you clearly, but I have them on. Dude, <laughs> you know, awesome, like that. that's awesome. Yeah. Listen, see, yeah. this,
2: is, this is what we love to hear. I needed yeah. I needed
0: leggings for running, so this is what I love to hear. I mean, you, you know what, leggings are the thing. That's why people come to this podcast, man. You guys just got the ultimate OG Gorp Drip bre- Like brand. Shout out that that's amazing. Like I haven't heard of icebreaker. I'm sure there are other people in the chat that are wondering icebreaker. It's got a heritage brand. So that's why we like to do these fit checks, Alex. So thank you for sharing that. I kind of want to start off with diving into the Balenciaga deal, because that's something that we've been freaking out over and we have you here. We'd love to hear more about it and then kind of dive into your story and how it all kind of led up to where you are today. So my first question is, how did that deal even come about?
1: You know, it's interesting because there were uh, there's a couple of origination stories to that because different people came in at different times, but it ultimately came down to uh, Balenciaga works with a really cool uh, brand, uh, one of these amazing uh, agencies who they love to remain in the shadows. So I'm a little bit like, I'll just use their acronym, S&I, uh, <laughs> this group S&I. Yeah, it's like top secret type of guys. And they approached us uh, with this incredible story of, We want to do something that's never been seen before in fashion. We have a client who is creative. They're visionary. We want to know if you guys are in. And we're like, okay, well, you know, what does the technology want to use? And we're like, unreal. And I'm like, okay, well, then cool. Let's get into this. And and the key thing on this is that for about 20 years, uh, Streamline has been really trying to just, we see this enterprise gaming thing coming, which, you know, just to be real quick, what enterprise gaming means is, taking video game technology and applying it into non-gaming fields, so Mm. fashion, movie, TV, which starting to see a renaissance of this happening. And it's been something that we've been super interested in for, well, better part of two decades. And when this came up, we said, okay, why not let's go for it and let's see. And then when we found out that it was Balenciaga and the creative director, it was his vision, we're just like, well hell yeah, we're gonna do this. I mean, why why wouldn't we? You wanna work with high creatives, you want to work with people who have let's say the, the the foresight and the willingness to try something new and totally disrupt. And that's what they did with this project.
0: That's insane. I, I, I Like we're at a loss for words when we saw that experience, because it felt like for the first time that a, a brand uh, like actually understood gaming and, and like the medium in which they were trying to, ex- they understood the medium that they were trying to express their ideas. So, but from, What it feels like is like they really needed a good partner to be able to do that. So for you guys being that partner, what was that creative back and forth like? Were they super understanding? Did you have to educate them a lot? How did that come about?
1: So that's a a really good question. I think that the key thing is that there were a lot of people involved. And so this is one of those things where I want to give a shout out to every, there was like eight different groups that came together to make this happen. And I think that's, that's really the key of why this was successful is that you have a visionary company, you have a visionary creative director and willing to take the risk to say, listen, we're going to use video games. And then working with and I S&I, S&I went and said, okay, we're going to find the best people we can find that are willing to go on to this adventure with us and make something that we've never seen before. And so the, the first part was the fact that we didn't all have to understand each other from a, do you know how to program? Do you know how to make art? We had to understand each other from a creative level, from a what is the vision? What is it that we're trying to achieve level? And this is the part that really gets us excited because honestly, we get to talk to people that are basically literally cutting fabric, talking about their vision, while at the same time talking to people doing volumetric capture, while at the same time dealing with Microsoft, then at the same time dealing with Epic with the engine, and then of course our own game developers. And what we all have in common is this desire to be super creative, the best of what we know how to do with our given field and the willingness to be open and have trust with each other that each one of us will deliver our piece and that we can then assemble it together and make something amazing, which is akin to cooking, right? You can be the best chef in the world, but if the ingredients are crap, the food is crap. Mm. And in this case, every person that was in the kitchen doing their piece was making amazing stuff. And then we just happened to be that team that got the privilege to sit down and put it together with these amazing people and produce something for, at this point, a patron, that was just like, yeah, I, I have discerning taste. I know what quality means. I do this on a worldwide basis. And basically I'm high luxury. And that for us was like, boom, let's do this. Let's go. We're just gonna do it. So it pushed us to be better, right? You know? You think about it this way. It's like you you get that idea, that capability to work with someone who is the best at their game. You obviously want to deliver your A game plus plus. Right. And that just really pushed each other to do the best things they could do. It was I'll be honest with you, it was magical, though at the time, if you would have told me it was going to be magic after the fact, it would have been like, well, let's see, because you know, I'm from games and we're always bitter and jaded about everything. But the thing is, is that we're, we looked at it and we're like, no, this really was magical. It was high stress, but the stress of we're making something that means something. Hmm. Uh, and that's really what ended up happening with the project.
0: Yeah. I mean, you walk in there and you get a in- beautiful idea of what the brand stands for. And it, it was pretty immersive because it, it felt like I was in Mirror's Edge, but it was Balenciaga Mirror's Edge, if you have ever played that game. and Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What I was wondering yeah. was, you know, it, it felt like a missed opportunity that you're standing in front of the product and it's been captured, but you can't purchase it. Was that like a decision or was it just something that couldn't get shipped on time, do you think?
1: I think, I think the key thing to think always to think about this way is that you're going through an experience, right? There's, there's always the, wouldn't it be cool if, 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 and then we run into, but we have to ship December 6th, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, so of course, I mean, like, you know, I've, I I can't speak for specific areas on this, but following your train of thought, just do your, what if, and really do what you just, said. Missed opportunity. Wouldn't it be cool if I could try it on? Wouldn't it be cool if my friends were here? Hmm. Wouldn't it be cool if I could purchase it? Wouldn't it be cool if basically someone from there was talking to me? Everything you're talking about is no longer going to be a a what if. I guarantee things are coming out, not just from this, but just in general, is what you're going to see the future look like where you will do these things. And that's the part that I think is so important for everyone to understand is that video games is not just about having fun. It's about learning and experiencing the world in a new way that connects us to things that we didn't even know was possible. And this Valencia project, or the Balenciaga project to me, is going to be one of those landmark points in history of this saying, Do you remember when this fashion brand made this amazing game, took a chance, and then opened our minds to what could happen? And we'll be like, Oh, yeah, that, wow, yeah, I remember that. That's the watershed moment that I think is going to explode for everything else.
3: So, not to reveal any potential future projects, but are there things planned, possible inbound, post this Balenciaga project
1: that you could possibly speak to? What I can speak to is like this. I can't speak towards Balenciaga in general, but what I can speak towards is just like, what Streamline? Let's just, from what Streamline's involved in, which we're involved in from high-end AAA video games to enterprise use of technology, right? Entertainment and enterprise video games. The stuff that's coming ashore now directly because of what Balenciaga did by establishing this gold standard, it's blowing my mind. And it's not just in fashion, it's across the board. I mean, guys, like, you know, I'm, I'm from that generation that grew up watching Terminator 2, being like, God, wow, computer CGI, oh my God, dinosaurs, Jurassic Park. And we dreamed of making it. Now I'm looking at this saying like, not only are you gonna experience that in real time, you and your boys will be there together having a hell of a good time and that product will drop ship to your house. It's this type of, you know, it's, it's future fantastic that I'm like, wow. So yes, to answer your question in a very abstract way, but moreover, it's just to say that this is what makes the opportunity for everyone that is out there watching is that you can actually go from watching to participating, to then creating and being a part of it as well. And I think that's the real change that's happening in the way we basically uh, experience content. The metaverse concept, everyone's a creator. And that's really what's happening. Right. Got it.
3: Yeah, not to, I guess, or kind of make it more sick circular. uh, I want Mm -hmm. to kind of track back to Rustin's intro on Streamline. And he mentioned a ton of, I don't know if this is fair to call them, but sub branches of Streamline. And for the viewers out there, how do they all kind of tie together just for their understanding?
1: Yeah, no problem. So, Streamline has five brands. The original brand that started 20 years ago was the one that I started with my partners. Uh, they It's called Streamline Studios. And basically, when we originally started Streamline, we started with the idea that we wanted to keep making our own games. Uh, we came fresh off a game called The Gunman Chronicles, uh, which was the first mod gun retail product that was bought by Valve back in 2000 and published on Vivendi Sierra. So Cowboys in Space, that's where the crew comes from. But in order for us to keep making our own games, we needed money in order to get money to fund and publish our game, because there was no indie revolution, there was no digital distribution, which it might be shocking to people out there to think there was no downloading of games. You actually had to go to GameStop before basically it was Wall Street Bets. You actually went there. And then at the same time, basically, publishers had all the cards. They used to have you by the balls. You you literally had no choice but to go work with a publisher or else your game would not come out. So what we realized in order for us to basically be free and make the products we wanted to make and the games we wanted to make, we would have to provide our services to people. So at the time, we we're like, oh, we'll be like in a little mini ILM for games. Games are getting more powerful. They're getting more complex. We'll just offer our technical and creative capabilities to people, take the money, do the work, and then basically fund our projects through the profits that we make. Uh, great on paper. They're were like, we're going to do this. And uh, we started. just so happened that we were actually good at it, and so we started to build the business up. Well, jump cut over 20 years now, and what ended up happening is that we spawned off uh, these five different sub-brands in order to target every step of video game development. So Streamline Studios is making high-end complex world-building type of projects, high-end art, really the type of interactivity, things like the Balenciaga project, and a couple of the things that they're working on. Whereas in Streamframe, uh, basically our uh, metaverse group, They're focused on engineering and basically bringing gaming technology to other fields, as well as creating a platform called StreamFrame, which is a remote external development platform. That's a fancy way of saying it allows game developers to work with each other all over the world, with their customers, as well as with the developers, all in a secure environment. Now, what's crazy about this is that the vision for this product started in 2003, and we've been using it for better past of more than a decade. If you would have told me, that would have been the reason why... When COVID hit, we would be fine. I would have been like, wow, I don't know what my twenty-three year old self and my partners were doing. Well, actually, I do know what we were doing when we thought of the project, but basically at that time, you know, it it ended up being the thing that saved our ass last year, just to be frank. Wow. And then basically we end, yeah, no, this is this is the part where when you're young and like super young, your most amazing ideas come. Write them down because they'll <laughs> save you in the future. It's like that. That's like the quantum leap moment. I'd go back and be like, "Thank you for helping me, uh, 23 year old self." Now, you know, pass it to the right. Uh, so then, what ended up happening from there basically is that we set up a group called Streamline Games, which basically focuses on making full products. So we do code developments and we make our own games like Bacon Switch. And then we have effectively uh, all Pixels, which is our scaled art outsourcing group that works for a bunch of other developers and helps them basically get their projects done in a creative way. And then QA, QC, uh, and localization with Day Zero. Now, when you take a step back, you think, oh, it isn't just video games. It's all the pieces you need to make games. Engineering, art, design, QA, QC, localization. All the individual component pieces that you can then put together in order to make full-scale products, or in this case, full-scale experiences. Does that answer your question, or is that a little yeah. bit too... Yeah, you pretty much race.
3: vertically integrated the entire process, which is very fascinating. Um, is there any um, company that does that besides Streamline?
1: You know what? I, I know that there's there are other companies that do offering one piece of it, but because of the ADD nature of the people who run the company, and I mean, this with total respect about that because we don't like to sit still and we look at things from the basic unit of production. We built the company as a production company, and this is the reason why we're able to do the, working from a Balenciaga to an Epic Games to a Coca-Cola. It's because for us, it's all about production. It's all about understanding what does it take to make something And then understanding how what we make, we can take across multiple formats to solve multiple problems for multiple stakeholders. So it's literally from the inside out. And this is what I would always tell anyone. It's like, you want to solve a problem. Think about that from the first principle. What is it that we're really trying to solve for? And that is what allows us to grow everything else around it.
3: So as new problems arise, or if there already are, will we see a sixth branch of Streamline? Currently five, correct?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know what? I would say like this. I would never say never with Streamline because we are those people that are constantly coming up with new stuff. I think this is something where if you want to be relevant in video games and just in business in general, you got to be disrupting yourself every day and you got to be looking for those new opportunities, those new challenges. And so I, I like problems or challenges for me. They're like, how do we solve something new? And because I'm one of these people and so are my partners and the people at the studio that really love to learn. We're always reading and trying to find something new for us to do and just to keep kind of pushing ourselves to the next step. So uh, I wouldn't doubt it that there would be something new coming. I wouldn't doubt that you'd see offices opening up all over the place. So, yeah. Got it.
3: Yeah, I know this is kind of an unorthodox timeline of podcasting questions, but I want to go back even further now to the origin of you, and I know Arian has a ton of questions of kind of like the startup lifestyle and how you grew into where Streamline <clears> currently is and what the development stages were like. All right, you want to shoot some?
2: Yeah, you almost basically asked the question right there. I guess just like, how did you get into, how did you grow up? You know, because people like, where did you grow up? Like, Maybe. how did you get into entrepreneurship? How did you get into video games, right? Like even get like candid, like what were your first yeah. f- favorite well, video I games?
1: Mean, and Yeah, no worries. I mean, I can get right into that one. I yeah. mean, I was seven years old when my mom came home with the Nintendo with the first NES. She came home because my aunt had told her, it's the best thing to a babysitter because you don't have to pay the babysitter. (laughs) I'm Latino. I grew up in Utah. My mom is from Nicaragua. You know, my dad's from El Salvador. I grew up basically in a Hispanic home. And effectively what that came down to was a fascination and awareness for what was different because we were different. You know, you gotta understand it, you know, there weren't many Hispanics in Utah. 1981 so basically we just go ahead go back uh so it wasn't new york it wasn't la it wasn't texas Uh, so we were pretty different and this was something where when we got the nintendo uh, it was a fascinating thing to see these things mario zelda metroid kid icarus excite bike to play these games and go into a place where you're like wow this is this is an amazing thing and you pass the time Uh, And then about the time when I was about 12 years old, my mom came home with a PC. She had saved nine months of her money and bought a PC. And this was to make sure that we wouldn't get, uh, well, that we wouldn't get mixed up in stupid things. So she's like, look, learn this. I think if you learn how to use this, there's an opportunity for you to go to other places. And so my brother and I would take it apart and we'd start using it. And we became fascinated and games hooked us, right? So remember... Back in the day, you had MS-DOS, and this is before Windows 95. This is Windows 3.1, right? You had to learn how to load your damn drivers. You had to do the command line. You had to learn how memory worked, how video card memory worked, uh, and CD-ROMs were just coming out. So just imagine these nerdy 12, uh, 12, 13-year-old kids with a computer basically saying, figure this out. So it distracted us from going outside and wandering, but it started to give us a skill. And that skill was basically learning how technology functions. And at the time, there were very few computers. I mean, people—it's it, hard to imagine this—but there was no cell phones. There was a PC was something that you maybe saw at a library or maybe at a fancy office. So there was no mm-hmm. real everyone has a computer type of thing. And really, only the nerdiest of people had them. So we're sitting here taking apart computers using dial-up BBS modems, uh, basically. Hacking the local, uh, well, yeah, pretty much hacking the local library to get T1 internet access so that we could download stuff to the freaking library and then Hell take yeah disks to go get the stuff, right? Really, it's like some real elite shit here, like doing the <laughs> shell, going in there and getting stuff. I mean, learning the old fashioned way. And that love of video games and making stuff and, and breaking things and learning formed the basis of what effectively was this really passion for what can you do with art. What can you do with code? What can you do with design? And wouldn't it be cool if we could get paid to do what we love at this point, which was technology. Make games, hang out with our friends, which at that point, we were all a bunch of nerds picking up our our PCs, doing network parties at home with BNC cables, and then finally ethernet game. And we're like, oh look, it doesn't break when it unplugs. Thank God for that. Uh, yes. And we're playing these games and we start modding, right? And this is the key, modding. We entered the mod community. Hmm. First, it was Doom, Doom Two, Duke Nukem, Quake, uh, and it just it just kept going. And then finally, basically, wait, sorry, Alex. So, how old were you yeah.
0: in the Doom Quake modding scene at that stage? Of your so, life?
1: I was. It was 1994 when we got our 94. I was 13 when we got the computer. Actually, it was 94 because it was right. It was the summer before my seventh grade year. Epic. So that's when that's when we got it. So basically, okay. 93, 94. It's a long time ago, and it's something where. You got to imagine it's like this, like, you know, I come, you know, we weren't rich. So it's like, I was a handyman that summer. My brother and I were basically fixing apartments. First off, I don't know who the hell hires a 13 year old to be handyman, but apparently we did. (laughs) We were fixing swamp coolers in freaking like 80 degree, 90 degree weather, hot as hell, learning how to sweat yourself for, to buy basically this time. We needed to buy four megs of video memory in order to play basically TIE Fighter. Hmm. And th- this is, so you're slaving away. Let's be clear, like no one paid anyone shit back then. They don't pay anyone shit now. So just imagine being 13. So you already know you're basically slaving away to make this work. But what it allowed us to do was to get the memory to play the game that we wanted to play. So that was a goal, right? So it became very goal-oriented at that time. So I-, I would say that basically the the one thing that would be just really clear on this is that entrepreneurship came in because I learned what I didn't want to do by basically, I didn't want to be a handyman. I had picked fruit for three summers. Let me tell you respect to anyone who's picked fruit, anyone in farm work. That is the hardest effing job in the world. And yet no one knows. Uh, that's the reason why there are those critical workers. Cause I mean that, that, that life is hardcore. So knowing that, and then my mother telling me on the other side, don't be a statistic, which let me be very clear. It's like, Let me tell you how how many Hispanics I knew in computers and even to this day in video games. And it was just one of those things where it just kind of passion came together. And I was just like, I don't want to be stuck here. I don't want to be stuck in Utah. I don't want to be stuck doing shit that I don't want to do. So I better figure this out. And computers was the opportunity to get out. And it did it. It really made it happen. That's That's so so cool. Yeah.
3: Holy shit. It's like, and and what you did in the past is... And that same goal for just video games exactly what you're doing now, which yeah. is just like a full story of just going for that same goal and still going for it to even today. Um, I'll have one question between um, yours, Ari, and sorry about that because it's just on top of my head. Go for But it. it seems, like I said, it's kind of a linear understanding of this is what I want to do, video games, video games at the top of mind. But when was there this realization that you wanted to
1: be an entrepreneur and actually start something? You know, it's funny. It's because when the the year... So 93, 94, there was uh, the first real shutdown of the of the government happened. Uh, Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton got into a massive argument and basically they shut down the government. My mom was working for the government. She got laid off. And I'll never forget this because my mom was never home until 7 p.m. at night. She was always working. I came home at school, it was 3.30 and I found her crying on the bed and I was like, what's wrong? So she told us a story that she had been laid off because of the shutdown. And she made a comment, she says, Why would you work for any jackass when you can work for this jackass? She pointed to herself. Hmm. And right there, I knew I'm like, fuck working for anyone else. Straight up. Because it's like respect. I mean, and and that's that's the honest truth. Because, like, let's be clear, guys. You can bust your ass your entire life for someone else. They can make a decision that takes it away from you. Or you can bust your ass with no hope of what happens tomorrow. But you know it's your own life, your own effort, your own thinking – that will decide whether it succeeds or fails, but even then, it will never end until you stop. That's what entrepreneurship is. It's freedom to choose, and it's your decision on what do you bet on, yourself or the hope that someone will take care of you. I'd rather take care of myself. That's matter effect.
0: Hell yeah. matter matters.
2: <laughs> that yes. was like, yeah. yeah, you need to write a song. For, that's uh, on a poster.
1: But it's the truth, man. I mean, like, you guys just think about this. Like, nothing's forever, guys. You got to do it yourself. And that's it. There's guarantee. My grandma used to tell me a funny thing. She's like, you're going to bust your ass your entire life. Truth. And this is what she used to tell me. Yeah. This little old woman from Nicaragua that came to America when she was 48 years old. Like, yeah, that's the truth. You're going to work. That's all I can guarantee you on. So you might as well work for yourself, or at least with people that you care about together. Which is exactly how Streamline, how we started this was a group of friends that came together and said, "You know what? Why can't we do it?" That's awesome. We went out to go find out if we could.
2: That actually, like, was half answering my next question that I had prepared. It was like, "How did you find the team?" And then post that. What was like the struggles that you you like? found building the team right as you guys were expanding what was all that
1: well so here's the thing it's like the 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 education that we have in life was you know burn our hands but i would say that that my co-founders stefan rainier yaron these guys are some of the most talented technical creative people i've ever met in my life and so it was easy for me to believe in them by just looking at their capability and we all met each other online we all met because we also had a friend who brought together the original gunman team. We all met each other through there. But when we decided to make a go at it in Holland, we were all in, in Amsterdam, actually, funny enough. There, it's well, a city outside of Amsterdam, a place called Oversum. I was living in Rotterdam. I had managed to get a job that took me overseas to Europe doing uh, computers, doing IT. And these guys had come back to Europe uh, and ended up all in Amsterdam or right outside of it in that city. Uh, and so when we got together, we just, we just sat there and, and made a real choice here. It was like, you can either, you know, go your separate ways and say you had fun. You were just, and at the time we were just kids. Cause let's be clear. None of us was even, one of us was 21. So we we're just a bunch of children. Uh, and at basically at that moment in time, uh, we said, well, why don't we just make a go for it and, and go through this process? Now, here was the thing is that we had very incredible talent we didn't know anyone hmm. we didn't know have any relationships and basically the video games industry is very funny in this way where it's like we are a passion industry that gobbles up people very quickly and then depending on where you get gobbled up at gets spit out in 3 years or in 5 years but the reality is, is most people don't make it past 5 because of the brutality of the industry not that they're mean people but production's a hard business to be in you know there is it's project based you're always Pushing yourself to learn, so you have to really want to be in it. And in the early years, what it came down to was basically us realizing what we were good at. We realized that basically the guys had each one of their strengths in their respective field of either technology, creativity, or engineering and design. And I basically focused on the business. And I sat down and said, like, look, I was really the only one who ever had a job in terms of working for other people, and I didn't mind talking to people. So basically, I was immediately like, hey, you go out and you start selling our stuff, right? But the problem is I didn't know anybody, and honestly, we're in Holland. The games industry is pretty much the U.S., Japan, and the U.K., though there was stuff happening in Europe. You know, I'm just an American kid over here in Europe trying to figure out how to connect the dots, and I did what I needed to do, pick up the phone call, make phone calls, send emails, and constantly bombard people to get our way in. And it wasn't until our first trade show, actually ECTS, and I'll never forget this because we got laughed at. I got laughed at at multiple places when people were like, there is no way we will ever outsource in video games. We will <laughs> never work with external teams. I kept hearing this. It That's was always, crazy. I never. This is the beautiful thing of video games. Video games is filled with the smartest people that can act. Well, a lot of times, a lot of mech are pretty dumb because they're like, we know everything, yet we know nothing. But it's okay. I get it. We're an insular industry that only knows what we know. But the problem is I was getting laughed at and I'll never forget this because I was really disheartened the show because I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work. I, again, imagine I'm 20 years old. So I'm sitting here trying to get the attention of these people who basically they have no reason to talk to me. But when they do, they say stupid shit to me. Yeah. So I'm like, OK, no problem. But let me just grind through it. And what I realized at this moment was that uh, if I would talk to the girls working at the booths and it just was nice to them, they would start helping me. So, they started telling me, like, you want to talk to this person here, wait here. And it was just through the conversation of, hey, what are you doing? I'm from here, I'm from there. They started to help me. So, they started directing people to me. Booth after booth, I started getting the people I know and I started to figure out the puzzle, right? Again, video games. We learn how to solve puzzles very fast in a short amount of time with limited resources. So, I'm puzzling. I'm like, okay, this is, okay, it's called business development. Okay, this is who I want to get a hold of. Okay, let me be friendly with this person, talk. Let me see if we can get over there. And soon I started meeting people that were more willing to talk to me. And at one point I end up inside of a a booth. Intel had put together an awesome developer lounge where there was like no one inside, but it was free booze. (laughs) And so I'm sitting here looking around, looking very sheepish, like, Oh, can I drink that? This guy walks in, goes behind the bar, opens the fridge, pops open, goes, Do you want a beer? And I'm like I'm like, I don't know, I don't have any money. He's like, Don't worry, it's free. And he asked me, he's like, What are you doing? I tell him my story. He's like, Oh, I think it's a good idea. He's like, Oh, it sounds like an interesting company. And I go, I'm like, What are you like? Some type of oracle? And he goes, It's funny that you say that. And he hands me a card and it says basically Oracle of Games. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at this thing and I laugh. It funny is that the guy, the guy who gave me his card, his name was Jay Wilbur. Jay Wilbur is one of the founders of Epic Games. Yeah, wow. dude. That's crazy. What? How we met. That's crazy. Epic? So I'm on the verge of basically like throwing myself in front of a freaking taxi because I don't know if this is going to work, and I have the guy who's you know Unreal Tournament is cleaning up, and he's sitting here handing me a beer, talking to me, telling me don't give up, it'll get better. Hell yeah, that's so awesome. one yeah. I mean this this is this is the turns of this business. It's insane. For that, a show. That's wow,
0: so crazy. So. Just for some context, that is that was that Expo in Europe
1: or is that like was it an American Expo? It was Europe? It was in London. It was the European Computer Trade Show at Earl's Court, which you will never find a more. Mm, it was like going to Mos Eisley. It's basically <laughs> what it like like we're in the cantina in Star Wars, and I'm like, this shit's kind of wretched, but you know what? Let's be there anyway. Yeah, <laughs> you know, oh, it, yeah. it was the UK. It was my first time to London too, so it was very like, wow, what is this? You know. Uh, it was fun it was a, it was really a fun time that's such
0: that's, an awesome story thank you for yeah, sharing seriously. that like it, yeah, i'm 100%. sure that 100%. listeners are going to be inspired seeing that that arc for you and then moving on forward like all the stuff that you've been able to do with these different companies and you've been able to grow the company recently it seems like you guys are starting to do media and push out content you guys started a podcast yeah. in december it's called video games real talk So shout out to Video Games Real Talk, you guys should go check it out. Can you kind of explain it to us and what kind of inspired it?
1: Yeah, so here's the thing about the games industry is that for an industry that reaches so many people's lives, very very little is shared. And I think this is something that if we're gonna get the next generation in here, we're gonna get new developers in here, we're gonna be taken serious as a medium. We need to take ourselves seriously and talk about the real things that go into making games from the business side, from the developer side. Not just about whether it's fun, but really, what does it really take to do this? So basically what I uh, did with my uh, co-founder, Stefan, we sat down and we just jammed one day and said, listen, why don't we start talking about what we've learned and invite our friends and have them come and share what they learned. And let's get into it. And let's let's stop being all self-congratulatory about things. And let's get into the real shit. Let's talk about how hard this is and hope that the kids out there and the people listening even the adult kids out there which pretty much the industry (laughs) that we all listen to each other and we start talking about it because you know here's the thing we all we do this stiff upper lip thing which i look i'm like come on guys half of us are nearly wanting to break down in tears the other half are alcoholics and we're like what are we doing (laughs) you know and it's like let's let's have that frank conversation and it was born from that and then we started to basically just get Really great people wanting to join that were open and wanting to talk because they themselves felt we need to have a adult conversation about the industry in which it's not battling or flaming each other, but saying, listen, you know what? I get everyone's upset because of cyberpunk, but let's talk about why something like cyberpunk even happens. Mm. Let's talk about how basically consumer expectations ratchet up to a level, which we're at fault for ratcheting it up, but let's, we take it to a level Where everyone expects like, you know, the second coming and what they really get is like the guy from Kenny's Shoes showing up and they're like, "Oh, is that it? (laughs) So I get it. You know, we, we have these things that we have to fix. At the same time, the conversation that we want to get into is saying like, look, if you are wanting to come into video games, there are pathways to get into it. It's not just a secret. Only the cool kids can come in here because the reality is anyone can come in here. It just comes down to how much you're willing to grind. How much are you going to bring to the table? How much are you going to basically do what it takes to get there? Not in some weird, questionable, indecent proposal way, but in a normal, I'm going to put my effort, I'm going to do my time, and I'm going to be a part of this. But of course, where would you find out this information? There's nowhere to find out. You basically look online. It looks like this industry is filled with trolls and people that are self-loathing, almost anti-everything. Then on the other side, all you read is in the newspaper, video games, money, 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 money. Okay, so wait, what you're telling me is that we're, anti-social trolls that make a lot of money and there's no in between. I know that's not true. So let's talk about it and let's us present what that is and then have a conversation. So that, that's how it started.
0: Amazing. Well, I'm
2: going to watch, every, uh, listen to every episode right now. <laughs> well, there was, there was an episode that you were curious about, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. I saw, I was looking through the episode list actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I downloaded the one with Sean Layden, uh, former chairman of uh, PlayStation studios. um how was how was that conversation how did how did that come about and what did you learn from it you know
1: sean's a cool dude i mean i think the thing is a lot of people don't realize sean spent 32 years of his life at playstation or at sony i should say uh and then at playstation and he worked for the founder of sony That's crazy. he worked with him for eight years i mean it the story of him in japan in the 80s with the founder running around i mean that's a movie by itself that needs to be made, but you know and I'm pushing him on that saying you should make this movie. but the thing is <laughs> like this like at, at this point it's it was great to have a conversation about where the industry is going, the impact we're having basically where does he see you know the the growth of of the games uh, in ten years, five years and honestly, to hear someone who pioneered and helped build this industry, it was really cathartic, you know even for something like for for me because you gotta imagine like when this guy was you know, He's in his he's 20 years older than me, uh, effectively. And to talk with him, to know that my business where I started from was from what he was doing, it was amazing. It was just kind of just watching, like, well, how did this happen? And then he explains it. So it was it's like seeing in the mirror, right? You right. know, it's almost like looking backwards while looking forwards. Uh, and I was very happy that he was willing to share. And uh ultimately Sean and I actually ended up uh we actually worked on another project. There's a uh a business review that he edited in January called people in strategy. And we did a article on basically designing the game of work, basically what businesses can learn from video games. Hmm. And this article basically just outlined kind of the things we're talking about, but more in a structured, here's what you can do as a business to basically have video games, help you become a better company. And this entire thing just goes out there into this thing. And so, you know, speaking to someone like Sean really just, Helps you understand that this, yes, as a corporate person, he was in the corporate side of the business. And as an entrepreneur, I was on the entrepreneur side, was able to see how basically the corporation formed what affected the entrepreneur, but at the same time, how we built an industry. Yeah, And, and that's really something to always keep in mind. The participants are big companies, individuals, startup companies, mid sized companies, and all of us just growing this, Well, what's now almost a $200 billion industry. It's crazy
0: it is crazy and like i think it's really interesting that perspective that you shared of like two different ends of the spectrum of the industry converging and how they saw this how you guys saw two different sides of the same path so definitely going to check that out i want to shout it out again really quickly for people listening it's called video games real talk you can go on streamline site to check that out another thing that we noticed on your site is that you mentioned the metaverse and we're huge, huge metaverse dudes over here. We love crypto, we love NFTs, we see that where it's going, we cover Mm -hmm. digital goods on this podcast, we're obsessed. And so what we wanna know is what you think the metaverse is gonna look like, what are some predictions that you have, and, and what are some challenges maybe that are gonna arise that we have to overcome, and how do you plan on overcoming those things?
1: Well, that's that, that's a great question, and let, let's unpack it. I think the, the idea, this concept of, of the metaverse for me, basically what the metaverse means to me is your physical persona, your digital persona becoming a unified reality. It's just together, all in one, I don't know the difference in terms of, of how I'm accessing it and how I'm utilizing it. So I think what ends up happening here in the metaverse is that I think that it it, it impacts some very powerful things for creativity and commerce. You know, to use this this word commerce, because, you know, as much as people hate it, I love it because basically business is reality. Business shapes the world. The economy shapes what happens to us. So ultimately in the end, what I think what the metaverse ends up doing is it provides a new avenue for the next 2 billion people to enter our economy. And what do I mean by the next 2 billion people? I'm talking about people in the emerging markets, Southeast Asia, Latin America, Africa, to come and participate, bring their influence, bring their cultures, not just in entertainment, but also in the way we design products. To really get full participation of the world's talent all in one area because here's the thing guys is that no country has a lock on creativity or on intelligence there's smart people born all over the world thank god for that because this is what we need we need the diversity we need the inclusion but more importantly what we need is opportunities coming up so that we can create new beautiful things so when we start to go deep into the metaverse and we start talking about things like blockchain we start thinking about basically cryptocurrency We're talking about the way we engage each other, right? I I don't think it's going to be far-fetched that the way you and I get paid for things will change. It will also change the way our labor is associated. And I think this is where the metaverse really gets real because in the end, who is to say that I will ever know anyone physically, Mm -hmm. but yet still work, still live and eat, be anywhere in the world that I want to be from, participating in the passion that I want to be, in this case, video games? Working with you guys or anyone else. And yet we're all still one group. And it's the idea of niche, 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 the ultimate niche, having maximum impact, being able to eat, live, dream, and create. That to me is the metaverse. Now, the challenges, I'm going to get boring here for a moment, (laughs) is regulation. It's national borders. It's the loss of power, the decentralization, and the loss of power. It's going to be something interesting that I think when the boomers finally pass on fully and it's Gen X, Millennials, uh, Zennials, Gen Z, I think we're being a better place to make these decisions and these changes. It's not because the boomers are at fault. I'm not blaming them for anything. Uh, but they had it good. I mean, come on. Their parents saved the world from the Nazis and basically inherited a beautiful place. Yeah. And then, well, we got this. We had whatever that was for the past four years. And basically, here we are. And ultimately, what it comes down to is that we have a different outlook, which has to be and really is driven by participation, technology, creativity, and the fact that in the end of the day, everyone should be able to create and do what they want to do. Now, this is not hippie. I'm not going to eat some bark now. It's just the plain facts. The more people who participate in the economy, the greater the economy becomes. Yeah. It's very easy. You want the pie slice this big? Let's make the pie bigger than my house. Very easy, it's not a winner take all mentality anymore, and I think that's also the biggest difference in the metaverse. It's not about being king of a castle that no one can sleep in, and we can all be peasants around it, being oh, oh lord, please take care of us. It's not that, it's about everyone having their own piece of heaven to create whatever it is they want and still be able to take care of their responsibilities. It's abundance to me. The metaverse is abundance.
0: So, would you say that that is like the best argument against critics that say, Well, look, Fortnite owns the best possible or like has the first version of the metaverse like why would they open that up to other game developers to release their own digital goods with within fortnite and vice versa why would fortnite sell the skins that they have in other video games and how do you essentially like bring those two things together and decentralize these platforms like fortnite or roblox that are building the best possible metaverse that exists today i guess
1: so let's look at this for a second. The entire concept people love to go to is scarcity. They love to think, oh, there's everything must be hoarded. I got to hold on to it because there's not enough of anything. Yeah. Total bullshit. There's plenty of everything. Let, let's first de- let's demystify. There's, there's plenty of abundance here if we want to see it that way. Now, if you look at basically Fortnite and then buy and turn, look at Epic, just think about it this way. My company, our company, Streamline, grew because Epic decided to share its technology shared its technology with the world and its world grew developers from all over the world of which our company grew. Let's be clear. If Unreal didn't exist, if Unity didn't exist, middleware technologies didn't exist, there would be no games. Mm. It would be, I mean, it would be using Frostbite, all enjoying loot boxes, wondering what's going on. You know what I mean? I don't think that's the universe that a lot of people want to live in. But at that, that same time, what we end up doing here is basically seeing the fact that through the democratization of the universe, Through the ability for people to create and participate, you create more avenues for the generation of wealth, for the generation of really the the, the usage of individual labor. So I'll put it from this perspective Imagine that in the universe we have that I can only have 50 people doing something and only those 50 people will gain. But if I open the door and I invite in a million, sure, I may have to split what 50 people did with a million people, but with a million more people participating, that percentage overall will grow. I will get more by the volume, right? Now the flip side comes in, and this is just a basic question that I would ask anyone. It's like, in the end of the day, infrastructure and technology, it costs money to run these things. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. in the end of the day, everyone's goal, I would think as a business and just as participants in general, is to not have to think too much about how something is running. It's to basically just know that I can get on there, create, exist, and continue to perpetuate this thing going forward. It's the reason why, basically, when we look at uh, ecosystems, like, you know, looking at things like your operating systems, why it's so important that every person who makes software can potentially participate, get some type of thing back. It's the reason why right now, when you look at what's happening with Google and Facebook in Australia and in European Union, about how they're trying to say you need to pay for news. It's basically them saying, listen, you can't free ride on the work that we have to pay for Mm -hmm. so that you can get rich while the rest of us eat nothing. That is an honest truth. I mean, because an author's work is an author's work, and they should get paid for what they do. The reality is things are, quote-unquote, free yeah. until they're not. So this is also the thing. You think about the music. I mean, do we want to live in a world where all of us are recording artists? Great. I get one cent from Spotify. <laughs> I mean, no, honestly, think about that for a second. Oh, you're a billion-dollar company. I get one cent. Yeah. And it's it's just, again, it's it's this idea. And, again, our generation's... They're the ones that are looking at it because in the end of the day, it's all fun until it's you. And when it's you out there panhandling with your hat in hand, going, please, (laughs) sure, you know, nobody wants to be that person. Yeah. But the thing is, it's easy for people to say, oh, no, it's okay. It's just the way the world is. You know, it's unfortunate they were born poor. Wrong border, wrong country. That's utter bullshit. It's nonsense. And this is what things like the metaverse can basically help alleviate. Yeah, I mean, it's out there, I get it. People might be like, what are you saying? But it's the truth. I'm seeing it right now.
0: Literally, the, the publication thing that you're talking about, there's a website called mirror.xyz where people go and write their own essays or articles and people can buy them and own them. It, it's happening right now. It's at the early it's stages. Mm-hmm. But I wanna ask yes. you another tough question, which is like, yeah, no okay, we have the, if there's different stakeholders within the metaverse, I would mm-hmm. say it's hardware, Software and then to break up hardware would be like the virtual reality manufacturers uh, like Apple with their uh, XR headset, Oculus with their Oculus Quest headset. And then within software itself, you have corporations like Epic creating Fortnite or Roblox, and then you have decentralized companies that are creating Decentralized metaverses like Decentraland, CryptoVoxels, and then you have people making actually like just code that can be a foundation for a metaverse. So I'm wondering like you have Apple who likes to be closed loop, but then you have games like Roblox or Fortnite that are making money off being closed loops. And we talked about, well, if you introduce them to the concept of abundance, and maybe that can be resolved. And then you have the people that are decentralized creating these platforms, but their stuff sucks because they're not epic games, right? The graphics aren't good. So how do all these things come together and say, hey, let's, let's make this happen? Specifically, like, we need the hardware guys. And those guys are the most closed loop, I guess, is what I'm saying.
1: I don't know. Yeah, so I guess the thing is like this, like, you know, I mean, I run a company. Companies have costs. They have to make their money. I get that. But at the same time, how we make our money basically comes down to the businesses that we and the services that we offer and the way we basically retain and bring people together. I think ultimately, at the end of the day, the idea of, I won't say consortiums, but the idea of people just having open standards and looking at certain things where you can have interchangeable pieces, I can go from this universe to that universe. That's only good for business. APIs is a great example of this. Mm, mm. Having APIs that connect people together so you can go in there. Because you know what? I'm an Apple guy. I'll be honest with you. It's like, I love it. I have all my stuff is Apple. For the past three days, I've been trying to use my Windows device. And every minute, I'm like, oh, my God. I, I don't even, I freak out on it. Because I'm just like, I don't get it. But then at the same time, I do get it. And I'm like, you know what? I can afford Apple products. Let me just go and stick in the ecosystem. <laughs> I pay for convenience <laughs> is what I'm saying, right? And I pay a premium for convenience because I don't want to think about stuff that should just work. Plain and simple. Agreed. Right. At, at the same time, I also understand for some people, they have time on their hands. And, you know, they don't mind tinkering. And, you know, what they, they love that. So get your socks off. Go do it. You know, so there's a place for everything. Because I think this is what I, in the end, when you think about it, niche of niche of niche, what that basically just comes down to is that find your tribe, find your people. You can belong with whoever you want to belong with, but it doesn't give us the right and it shouldn't limit us to work and collaborate with other people. In fact, we should want to do that because by doing so, the opportunities become greater. And if if you feel like this reoccurring theme of teamwork, you know, a little bit of humility, a bit of being together, it's because it's just basic human beings. It's like, this is ultimately what we generally tend to do and gravitate towards anyway. So in the end, if I if I give you tools and I make them free, of course you use them. And of course I will get something from it in return. Does that mean I need to own you and choke you and kill you? Of course not. And I think platforms that basically have exploited user information and data, like really took the meta and made money on that. They're starting to find out just like what happens when their customer gets smart enough to realize like, oh, wow, I am the product and you're farming me. Mm. Well, sure, you can be a billionaire doing that. I hope you like it when the pitchforks come out too. Right. Because that's, unfortunately, that's what it leads to. Not saying that I think that should happen to anyone, but at the same time, you can see where anger goes.
0: Absolutely. And I think um, you've really charted a a great course that we all believe in and you've done a great job of obviously building the blocks for it whether it's helping someone create the art helping someone develop the entire game or helping a someone like Balenciaga come into the space y- you've done a great job Alex and um we at hype geeks salute you this has been an insane <laughs> podcast dude thank you so much for coming on man can you uh well, thank you guys yeah plug plug your socials plug your company um and then we'll close this thing out
1: Yeah, no problem. So uh, starting with the company, StreamlineMediaGroup.com, that's with a hyphen uh, or a dash. Uh, Basically, you can get us uh, at uh, Streamline News on uh, Twitter, at Starbuck on Twitter, Instagram at Starbuck underscore uh, Streamline Studios on uh, Instagram as well. Uh, Of course, LinkedIn, because that's where we rock. And then the video games, Real Talk, please come. And ultimately, if you have anything that you'd like to hear about, I want to talk about if you have ideas please kick it over there we'd love to interact and see what we can do for you all and you know guys for you guys at hype geek honestly this is great this is really it's been informative and i appreciate you guys having me on and look forward to uh you know learning more seeing more and get you guys on the show so you guys can come in and talk about what you guys are up to yeah you know we need people like Definitely. you to talk about where things are going so you know i, I really appreciate your guys's time
0: yeah, Alex, thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming in and, and doing the full hour with us. It's been awesome to just hear your perspective. We really, really appreciate it. Guys, check us out on at Hype Geek on all socials. Go on the podcast and share this with your friends. This has been an insightful podcast, probably one of my favorite podcasts ever. So if you guys Definitely. felt the same, share it with your friends, subscribe, five-star review, and uh, go follow us on Twitch at High Ground Co. if you want to see these things live. This was epic. Alex, thank you again, man. Seriously, appreciate
1: it. Thanks, thanks, guys. You guys take care, and you know all all the success and best.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Peace, guys.